it is my prayer that the sermon that you hear this morning will be the greatest sermon that you ever hear. And I'm saying that not because I think that uh, the preacher has anything to do with it. It's not because I think that what I say will be eloquent. It's not because um, uh, anything to do with me, but everything with the content that we're coming to today. I'm, I'm hoping that it so rattles and so uh, consumes your mind and your heart and your spirit that, that you would have nothing left to do except to fall down and worship Jesus. That's it. And that's why I hope it's the greatest sermon that you will ever hear because at the end of the day that you will come and behold Jesus in maybe a way that you've never looked upon Him before. And so I'd like if we could to stop and pray that the Lord would open our hearts to that, that that would be the sermon that we'd hear for all time, that our eyes would be so focused on Jesus that we would be consumed by Him. So let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that You allowed Your Son to be crucified and laid behind that stone and that You raised Him from the dead. And that the story of that good news, the message of that has been so proclaimed throughout this world that you've made it available for us today to recognize your grace and your mercy that has been extended to us. The opportunity for forgiveness that we have in our lives, not so that we can come, somehow come to our own personal utopia, but so that we would come into relationship and into your presence and that we might gather together with not only human beings who have been saved for eternity, but all the other creatures and things which you've created that will be with you for eternity, Lord, that we might gather together with them in endless praise because you are worth it. And so, Lord, we pray that as we focus today again on the book of Revelation, that we would not be uh, confused and carried away with things that we, maybe we don't understand, but rather that the things that we do understand, namely you, that it would cause us to bow down and worship. That it would change our hearts and our lives. And so I pray that you'd be with my mind and my heart and my lips, Lord, as I share your gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, we just got a new shipment of Bibles in. So you're welcome to pick one up on the table in the back foyer. Pick that up, write your name on it, take it home with you. If you know one, someone who needs a Bible, go take them a Bible. They're there because the Word of God is free. The Gospel is free. We want to make sure that everybody has a Bible in their hands. It's yours. Uh, as we go into this chapter, I, I was thinking about it yesterday while I was driving down the road, and uh, I was headed down to Camp Dixie, actually, and as I turned off of uh, Interstate 95 and was getting on Highway 87, I was going around one of those uh, off-ramps where it turns all the way around. You know, you gotta, you got to do the, almost the whole 360 before you get on the next road. And, and as I was looking out the window, I, suddenly there was a van that was driving across my vision. It just kind of gave me pause for a moment because... What was happening in that moment made no sense to my mind. Because at one time, I could see not only my steering wheel and what was happening in the car, and not only could I see what was in front of me like I should, but in that same moment, I could see inside and in front of me and in my rearview mirror where that car was going sideways. And I don't even know where it was coming from, but it, it caused me to suddenly not understand what was going on. In one moment, there was something in front of me, there was something that was inside the car, and there was something behind me. And the mishmash of those things all at once made my mind go, I don't understand what I just saw, until moments later. Then I realized, oh, I was looking through a mirror, I was looking in front, and I've got what's going on in the car. So why do I bring that up, this confusing moment? It's because 
As we come into the next part of the book of Revelation, we just finished with the seven letters to the churches that were being written to seven present-day churches. And the things that were written there were somewhat understandable because we could relate to them very well. As we move forward into the book of Revelation, we're moving into what's called prophetic writing. And sometimes when we read prophetic writing, none of it makes sense to us because we're trying to comprehend it with our natural mind. We're trying to make sense of it with uh, the education that we've had and the reason that we have. And that's just not how prophecy works. When a prophet was given a vision or a prophecy, they're not only looking to maybe things future and things past, but they're also looking to things present. So suddenly in one passage, you might have past, present, future all crossing at once, and it makes no sense to our natural mind. And oftentimes the prophet didn't quite understand what he was seeing. But as things play out, you realize that the Lord was dropping in understanding about his descriptions about things that were coming future. And so as we go into today's passage, it might be a moment in your mind like me on that road, not not quite comprehending what you're seeing all at once. And that's okay. There's going to be times in today's sermon and ongoing in Revelation when, when I say, you know what? I, with my mind, can't understand what's happening here, but just look at the picture for a moment. Just, just, just let's look together. And sometimes we just need to hold those things and wait for Jesus to reveal those to us later. Some of these things will be future fulfilled. Some of them are calling upon things in the past, and some of them are present. But I, I just want to speak that as we go into some of these more prophetic passages, that it's okay to say, this is too much for me to understand, but I know it's about Jesus. Amen. I know it's about Amen. Jesus. So with that... Let's enter into Revelation chapter 4. Again, John has just finished writing to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and now uh, things turn as far as what he's to see. It says in chapter 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. So after John writes the letters in the continuation of this vision, he sees a door standing open to heaven. If you remember, Jesus had said to one of the churches, I have the key of David and the door that I open stays open. The door that I shut shuts. Well, suddenly there's a door open to heaven. And this voice comes, the voice like a trumpet. In chapter one, we saw that was Jesus. So Jesus is calling to John saying, come up here. He's being invited. There's no way John could go and get that revelation, that vision of heaven, the sight of heaven, unless Jesus was going to show him. And so Jesus extends the invitation to come and see what's about to take place. He's going to go up and see the Lord in heaven. It says in verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper, and carnelian, very precious stones. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And so here as John enters into the throne room, he's been invited up, and it's just this glorious scene. Jasmine and emerald, and, and here's this rainbow that has a look of an emerald. And, and to us, it's like we've never seen anything like that. It was just a glorious sight. And in fact, not only is it attested to here with John, that's very similar to the description we have of Jesus and things about him in the book of Ezekiel. It's very similar to what we'll find with Isaiah's vision in Isaiah chapter 6 when he goes into the throne room. And so John is escorted into the presence of Jesus, and it's just magnificent. And what John sees Remember, he's always just told, whatever you see, just write. So he's just writing down the best he can to describe what he sees. And what he sees is something glorious. 
There's Jesus on the throne. All around him is just this picture of glory. He's like, it's like an amazing rainbow. You know what I love about kids? Is that when they still see a rainbow in the sky, they run outside, they're like, whoa! It's a rainbow! It's magic! It's amazing! John comes into the presence of Jesus like, there was a rainbow all around, extending around. It looks like an emerald. I don't know how to comprehend that picture, but it's where Jesus sat in all of his authority on his throne, and John is suddenly in that throne room seeing what's all around Jesus. He goes on to describe these things. I can't even comprehend all these things, but it says in verse 4, around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So he begins to continue uh, the description, not just with Jesus now, but around him are 24 thrones. There's 24 elders who have crowns. Uh, We don't know who these people are. Some people have suggested, well, maybe those are the 24 all-stars from humanity. Um, I don't know that I'd say that. We don't have any description of who these guys are. Just that they're on these thrones with crowns around Jesus' throne. They may be completely be, uh, different beings altogether. We don't know. They're just elders that are there. And then it also says that there's this sea that surrounds the throne uh, that's there. And it's, it's a sea of crystal glass. And guys, if you could, could you put the revelation picture that we have up sometimes, the slide that we have up here and. And, and as I made the slide that you'll see, there's a sea that's in the picture. Uh, you see the sea here? And what's interesting about the crystal sea that's around the throne of Jesus, later on in Revelation it says that in the midst of the sea was also like a fire that was in the midst of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never looked in water and seen actual fire. But when I've looked at a sunset, I think it looked something like this. You know, when the fire of the sun is also coming off that water and it's just a glorious, magnificent sight, here is this crystal glass sea with a refining element. And what we see is later on when believers are standing around the throne, they've had to come through the washing and the refining of that sea, standing around the throne. So I I think there's something about that in the midst of the sea that those who have come to Jesus have been refined. They have been washed clean and now they've been presented white and there's this sea that surrounds his throne. And in the midst of that, it says there was rumblings and thunder. And whenever there is a glorious representation of the essence of God, you always have that. We saw it on Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. You see it with Isaiah's revelation, a vision there in Isaiah chapter 6 and onward. There's always this amazing moment where things just shake under the glorious picture of God Almighty. And so there it is. That's how the picture extends. 24 elders, rumblings. You have this crystal sea glass uh, that's out there. It goes on and says in verse 6, And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, like a lion. The second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature, like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease. They never stop to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so now John sees around this throne these creatures that are there. They're called four living 
creatures, living creatures. They've been given life by Jesus himself. We have almost this exact same description in Ezekiel. Now, I don't know if you remember, but the very first sermon I gave at Unity Advent Christian Church when I candidated was on Ezekiel chapter 1. In that passage, you have a picture of the entourage of Jesus. Here comes his glorious throne out of heaven to approach Ezekiel. And what's flanking his chariot are these living creatures. They are guardians. And the passages in Ezekiel says that they were cherubs. And these cherubs, I can't even almost comprehend because they look more like the drawings that my children draw of beasts and magical figures than anything that I've ever seen on earth. I wouldn't want to come across one of these creatures in the woods, I'll tell you that. A lion, an eagle, an ox, a human. You know, I can't even comprehend what they look like. And it says that they had eyes all around. We don't know exactly what that means in the Old Testament times. Eyes upon people were also a description of of jewels that were kind of bedazzled on people. It was a representation of of a gloriousness that had been extended to them. They wore maybe a garment that that had jewels on it. So maybe they're filled with jewels. But I, I also like to think that here in the New Testament it says that they have eyes that are all over. Why? Because they're in a constant witness of Jesus Christ. It says that in front and behind, they have eyes. So no matter whether they're standing to him or they're standing uh, the other way, they look upon him and he's, he's awesome. So awesome, in fact, that these four living creatures, though we can't even comprehend what they're like and we don't even know all the time what's going on, that they constantly, without stopping, always say this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they repeat that over and over and over because He is that holy. When In the Scripture, anytime they say something three times, they mean it. Kids, when your parents say something three times, do they mean it? Yes, they do. The same thing in Scripture. God is holy. If He's really holy, they'd say, holy, holy. But because He is the holiest of holiest, these ones who look upon Him all the time, they can't stop saying it in three. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Well, what does that mean? The word holy means set apart. There is nothing like Him. He is set apart from sin. There is no sin in Him. He's only good. There's no evil in him. He is only love. There's no selfishness in him. He is only so gracious. He is set apart in there. There's no one like him. Everything else has been made as a creature. He is the creator. There is nothing else in the entire universe that can say it has always been for forever and it will always be forever all the way. Now, we know we will be given eternal life, but none of us can say we have always existed. He is the one who has set apart. He was and is and is to come. And these four living creatures, as they look upon him, all they can say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's what they do. And they never get tired of it. Why? Because he's that awesome. They're so consumed with him that all they can do is spout out the praises of God as they guard his throne in his throne room. He's that good. It goes on and says in verse 9, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who's seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who's seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever 
and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they created and were uh, existed and were created. And so these 24 elders, you know, you think, well, maybe they're advisors to Jesus. No, Jesus doesn't need advisors. Okay? They are there because they're worshipers. They're somehow working for him. I don't know what they do, but what it says is every time the living creatures say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And how often is that? All the time. It says whenever they sing that song, what do the 24 elders do? They fall on their face and worship the Lord and they take off their crowns as if they had any uh, uh, you know, glory for themselves. They say, this is, we're not even worthy of these. Here, have them. Okay? They cast their crowns at Jesus' feet to worship Him and say, we're not worthy of the diadems that we wear on earth. We're not worthy of crowns. Here, take it. It's all about you. It is, it is all about you, Jesus. And they go on and they sing this song about how worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and by your will they were created. You see, the creatures and the beings that are in the very presence of God, of Jesus in His throne room, at every moment of their created being life, all they can do is worship Him. All they can do is be consumed by Him. All they can do is, is anything but take their minds off Him. All they want to do is look upon Him. He's that good. And then there's us. You see, in this throne room that we're having a description of today, how many kings are there? One. How many people in that room are being worshipped? How many people get a vote in that room? One. You see, the throne room of Jesus is not a democracy. The throne room of Jesus is not a sharing of His glory in such a way that others would receive worship. The angels in that place, the living creatures in that place, the elders in the place, none of them are saying, hey, you know, what about me too? I'm in the throne room. Who's going to worship me? Actually, there was one who did that. His name was Satan. And the scriptures say that Satan, who was a cherub, was cast out of heaven because being that close to Jesus, he got it into his mind that I too could take that place and I can call the shots. I too can be king. I can have a vote. I can do it. You see, I think we run our churches completely wrong. We have formatted our churches to look like America and be democracy. And it is my opinion that in the church, every shot should be called by the preacher, by pastor. The pastor should be in control of everything. He should say when church is, what they do, what they're fundraising, what their decisions are. And you might say, how dare you, pastor? Pastor, how dare you to take that upon yourself? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about our pastor. Amen. I'm saying this church is not a democracy. We are under the, the same rulership of Jesus Christ, the chief pastor of our church. Wouldn't it be awesome if every decision we made, we would have the same mind about ourselves. And the way we operate in our church, we'd have the same mind about ourselves as the, the creatures and the elders do in the throne room of God. 
that we would say, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to be a preacher in your church, Jesus. What do you want to say? I'm not even worthy to be a Sunday school teacher. I'm not even worthy to be a deacon. Who am I to think that I am capable of making the decisions to run this place? No, none of us are. The Lord God Almighty is. He is our pastor. He is our preacher. He is our teacher. He is our Savior. He is our Lord and Christ. He is the King of all the universe. And He is King of this church. And He should be the King of you. You might say, I don't understand what you just read out of Revelation. Let me help you to understand. There is one King and there is no other. You are not the King. And if you desire to be in that place, you will die a long and lonely death. You will be crushed and destroyed and you will never, never, never know what that throne room looks like. You see, in this church, if the Lord tarries and if it's the Lord's will that I would remain long enough, I will do most of your funerals. You know that? I will preach most of your funerals. And at the time that your funeral comes, and Jason Hudson has the honor of preaching your funeral, it is my hope that at that service, I would be able to say, the person laying here in this box had been created and had been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so that their life will not forever be bound in that box, but will be together with Jesus in the throne room. If you sit here today and you don't know what Jason Hudson would say at your funeral, you better get on that real quick. I can't tell you where your heart is. You may not even know where your heart is. But I guarantee Jesus knows where your heart is. And if He knows that you're not going to be in that throne room, ask Him to tell you. Say, Jesus, how do I get to that throne room? And let me tell you how to get to that throne room. You know how? Jesus Christ opened the door of heaven, got down off His throne, went and took up your cross for you. All the wickedness that you have, you came into this world as a sinner and nothing that you have done in this life has saved you. All you've ever wanted to do is rebel against God. You were just like Satan next to that throne saying, I think I can do it myself. I can figure out my own life. I'll figure out how to pay for things. I'll figure out how to protect myself relationally. I'll figure out sexually how I need to be active. I'll figure out what I want to watch on TV. I'll figure out what I want to eat. I'll figure out what I want to drive. I'll figure out when I will and will not spend my money. I will figure it out and I will be king. You're just like Satan. Me included. And yet Jesus left the glories of heaven where he had living creatures constantly saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And, and, and elders casting their crowns at his feet. He left that place. And he walked in Palestine. And he took my sin and got nailed to a cross where His blood ran down and where that song the choir said, His sacred head was put on a stake 
for me a worm. Jesus left His throne room to come and die on your cross. And how do you get to that throne room? You say, Jesus, thank You for Your cross. And all that blood that ran out. Would You take that blood to wash me clean? Would You forgive me of my sin? And the moment that happens... The moment that Jesus washes your sin away, you become one who's not an enemy and filled with wickedness and sin and a debt and death. And you are transferred into the kingdom of light. And Jesus says, if you have conquered through His blood and you've been washed clean, then you will stand in the throne room. Then that day when Jason presides over your funeral, he'll be able to say, this person knew Jesus because they called upon Him for forgiveness of their sins. And you will join in together with the living creatures and the elders and whatever all the other craziness is that I don't understand, but it's not crazy. It's all for Jesus. We will join in together to worship Him for all of eternity. You might think, well, man, I can hardly take church and worshiping Him for an hour. Now I've got to do it for all of eternity? I realize this isn't some of your cup of tea. Not even if it's sweet tea. Okay? I understand that. But a lot of the problem is we have conceptualized what we want. You know, when I think, when I was little and I thought of heaven or whatever was coming, you know, and being there forever, I'd always picture it the way I wanted it. And you know what I wanted? I always saw those Dairy Queen commercials where it was a a chocolate world, you know, flowing with chocolate waterfalls and peanuts, and it's a parfait. I just wanted like a dessert heaven, right? Or we're in love with cars, so we think it's going to be a hot rod heaven, or or, or, or we just love being with people, and so it's just going to be one big reunion with Ma and Pa and Auntie and Uncle and the, the other. It's just going to be a reunion, and we've somehow conceptualized that place to come where it's going to be all about satisfying me. That's not what we saw in Revelation 4, is it? Jesus wants to satisfy you. But He wants to satisfy you with Himself. If you fully trust in Him, He will satisfy you in ways that that you can't. He can satisfy you in ways that no tax cut can. He can satisfy you with ways that no sale at the mall can't. He will satisfy you in ways that no spouse and no best friend and no child and no grandparent, no allowance, no paycheck, no car, nothing else in all the universe can satisfy you the way Jesus can. And so when you say, what will it be like for you? Will I be able to stand there and bear it up? Because, man, I don't want to be bored. No, you're not going to be bored. You're going to be alive. Okay? You, you, you're going to be breathing. The alternative is to be destroyed. The alternative is to not get to glimpse on Him who is so beautiful, so glorious, and so loving that you want nothing else to do but to pour out your life for Him and to say, Whatever you want of mine, you get it. 
You want my voice and song? You got it. You, you want me to go get you a cup of coffee? You got it, Jesus. I'll go get you. And you know what? That's my heaven. We're going to have coffee shops everywhere. Just tell you, that's, that's my confession as an adult. But Jesus is so awesome. He is so wonderful. And he's not waiting until that place in that throne room to satisfy you. I guarantee you. He is looking to satisfy you so much right now that your life would be turned on its head. That there would be a revolution in your heart and you would just say, Lord, whatever you want, I will do. Yesterday I went down to the uh, conference annual meeting. They were telling some of the history of, of our conference. And they talked to the man who brought the Advent Christian Church down into the southern states. And what had happened is he had gone up on a business trip up into the northeast. While he was up there, he happened to come across a tent revival meeting where some Advent Christians were, were teaching about Jesus is coming back. You need to be saved and we need to go tell other people that they need the blood of Jesus. Well, he heard this and heard the gospel and gave his life to the Lord. And so consumed with he, was he with Jesus being the king in love that he came back down to the south. He used all his money to, could, to buy anything he could, like tracts and Bibles, whatever he could give away to people. And this man walked through all the major cities of the south just to tell people about Jesus. His life had been so revolutionized by Jesus, so satisfied with was he, was he, I don't need all this money. I'll just use it to buy any tool I can to give Jesus away. He's that good. He satisfies me so much. So satisfied were some of the early missionaries. that When they would go off to foreign lands, you know how they would pack? They would pack themselves a box. And they would stuff it full with their things. And they would have it shipped over to the place they would go. And that's all they would have. But the best part is that when it came to die... That was their casket. Why? Because they had sold out for Jesus. They said, you are everything. So if you've told me to go to a far out land, I am going there and I'm taking my burial box with me because Jesus, I'm yours. My friends, Jesus is so glorious. The creatures that are right in His throne room they can't do anything but just say, you're holy. You're so holy. You're so holy. You're so mighty. Look at all that you've created. Look at your will and what it's done. And they just cast themselves and their crowns and their possessions and all they got at him. Whatever you want, Jesus, it's yours. You're the king. My friends, this morning, if you're not casting your life upon Jesus, just at his feet saying, whatever you want, king. And I encourage you to do that this morning. If you've never called upon Him to say, Jesus, please save me from my sin. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Say, Lord, please forgive me. But I also want you to be aware that when that happens, your life will be taken over. Your life is no longer yours. You don't get to call the shots. It's not a negotiation between you and the king. It's just the king. And He will satisfy you in ways that You've never imagined. It's going to be better than a Dairy Queen parfait. It's going to be better than your truck. It's going to be better than that $300 purse. It's going to be better than 
any show or event that we could put on as a church to entertain ourselves or anything out there in the world that might try to entertain you, Jesus will satisfy you in ways that only he can do. Your struggle that you're going through right now, he will walk with you through that. It might not make it in this world and in our flesh necessarily easier that way, but he'll bring you his peace. And likely he's using that situation to show you himself as king and savior or to use the situation to show someone around you that he is king or savior. But you have to answer that question. Is he the king in your life? Or has he just become a a convenient genie in your pocket? Has he just become your little fortune cookie? Has he just become your little religious to-do list? I got Sunday checked off. Now I get my Monday back. And let me tell you, if you're with him, he gets all seven days. Okay? He gets all 24 hours. He gets the rest of your life. He gets your eternity. And you know what? If he gets your eternity, he will never let you down. So to close today, Alan's going to come up and help me, but there's a song that we have that comes straight out of this passage. We have living creatures and elders that just sing the glories of Jesus. And today, if you're a servant of Jesus, we want to ask you to join in. And and during the song, we're not going to pause for another moment to make an invitation. It just is the invitation. You're welcome to come to Jesus, whether that's in your seat or up here. And we're just going to we're just going to worship him. We want to go out just saying, he's the king. He's awesome. Begin with repentance and saying, you're so awesome. I just am so sorry for my sin. And now I just want you to be my king. And you may not know this song. But I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing it. And uh, just lift up your voices. And give your hearts to the king. And set yourself apart forever to the king. You're welcome to come up at any time and just pray in your hearts and most of all, sing out to the Lord. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. You created all things and by your will they were created and have
Lord, you are holy, holy, holy. You're the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Lord, we know that song is happening right now in heaven. You have creatures and beings constantly around you, worshiping you because you deserve it. And Lord, we pray in our life right now that we would gather with them, even though we're on this side, that we would gather together with them and sing out your praises, Lord, that we would immediately call upon your name for forgiveness and repent of our sin because you're holy. You can't have sin in your presence. But Lord, you've told us that if we call upon your name and confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so right now, Lord, I pray for that individual who's in this place, who is struggling to give you control. Lord, who has not called upon your name for forgiveness. And I ask that in this moment that you would wrestle away from them the death grip that they have on their own life. Lord, I pray that you would save them. I pray that in this moment they would call upon you for forgiveness and that you'd come in and radically change their life. Lord, that they would see you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Lord, we are all in that exact same place. We are so quick to become selfish, so quick to be filled with pride, so quick to be overrun with our own weaknesses that we don't rely on you, so quick to, to sin and to, to, to sin against others and to slander and to, to commit sexual sin and, Lord, to, to cheat and to be greedy and to just follow the world and get so consumed with everything but you, Lord, we pray. You would cause us to come again to a place of submittance. Help us to submit, Lord. And Lord, we pray that this church, as you call people in your name, into that great cloud of witnesses, Lord, together with them, we pray that we'd be a church that is moved beyond this sanctuary, and that we would go take the name and the gospel of Jesus to those that we come into contact with, whether it means selling our things and buying more Bibles, whether it means packing up a box and going over to China. Lord, we pray that we would be so committed to who you are as king and what you've done in our life that our entire life would be cast before you, that we would not hold on to our crowns, onto our possessions, onto our thoughts, onto our emotions, but that, Lord, everything would be given over to you, most holy king. Lord, we pray that you'd keep this picture of heaven in our minds and in our hearts. When days of trial and temptation come, we might be called back to the reality of the situation. We are simply servants of the king and how, how we're loved. You love us so much that you help us in all those situations. So, Lord, take us out with joy. Only you can satisfy us. And when we're satisfied in you, that's when we have joy. We feel it here this morning as you filled up this place with the very glory that you have in heaven. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray.